Chapter Seven of the New Magdalene. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. The New Magdalene by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Seven: The Man Is Coming. You look very pale this morning, my child mercy sighed wearily i am not well she answered the slightest noises startle me i feel tired if only i walk across the room lady janet patted her kindly on the shoulder we must try what a change will do for you which shall it be the continent or the seaside your ladyship is too kind to me it is impossible to be too kind to you mercy started the color flowed charmingly over her pale face oh she exclaimed impulsively say that again say it again repeated lady janet with a look of surprise yes don't think me presuming only think me vain i can't hear you say too often that you have learned to like me is it really a pleasure to you to have me in the house have i always behaved well since i have been with you the one excuse for the act of personation if excuse there could be lay in the affirmative answer to those questions it would be something surely to say of the false grace that the true grace could not have been worthier of her welcome if the true grace had been received at mablethorpe house lady janet was partly touched partly amused by the extraordinary earnestness of the appeal that had been made to her have you behaved well she repeated my dear you talk as if you were a child she laid her hand caressingly on mercy's arm and continued in a graver tone it is hardly too much to say grace that i bless the day when you first came to me i do believe i could hardly be fonder of you if you were my own daughter mercy suddenly turned her head aside so as to hide her face lady janet still touching her arm felt it tremble what is the matter with you she asked in her abrupt downright manner i am only very grateful to your ladyship that is all the words were spoken faintly in broken tones the face was still averted from lady janet's view what have i said to provoke this wondered the old lady is she in the melting mood to-day if she is now is the time to say a word for horace keeping that excellent object in view lady janet approached the delicate topic with all needful caution at starting we have got on so well together she resumed that it will not be easy for either of us to feel reconciled to a change in our lives at my age it will fall hardest on me what shall i do grace when the time comes for parting with my adopted daughter mercy started and showed her face again the traces of tears were in her eyes why should i leave you she asked in a tone of alarm surely you know exclaimed lady janet indeed i don't tell me why ask horace to tell you the last allusion was too plain to be misunderstood mercy's head drooped she began to tremble again lady janet looked at her in blank amazement is there anything wrong between horace and you she asked no you know your own heart my dear child 
you have surely not encouraged horace without loving him oh no and yet for the first time in their experience of each other mercy ventured to interrupt her benefactress dear lady janet she interposed gently i am in no hurry to be married there will be plenty of time in the future to talk of that you had something you wished to say to me what is it it was no easy matter to disconcert lady janet roy but that last question fairly reduced her to silence after all that had passed there sat her young companion innocent of the faintest suspicion of the subject that was to be discussed between them what are the young women of the present time made of thought the old lady utterly at a loss to know what to say next mercy waited on her side with an impenetrable patience which only aggravated the difficulties of the position the silence was fast threatening to bring the interview to a sudden and untimely end when the door from the library opened and a manservant bearing a little silver salver entered the room lady janet's rising sense of annoyance instantly seized on the servant as a victim what do you want she asked sharply i never rang for you a letter my lady the messenger waits for an answer the man presented his salver with a letter on it and withdrew lady janet recognized the handwriting on the address with a look of surprise excuse me my dear she said pausing with her old-fashioned courtesy before she opened the envelope mercy made the necessary acknowledgment and moved away to the other end of the room little thinking that the arrival of the letter marked a crisis in her life lady janet put on her spectacles odd that he should have come back already she said to herself as she threw the empty envelope on the table the letter contained these lines the writer of them being no other than the man who had preached in the chapel of the refuge dear aunt i am back again in london before my time my friend the rector has shortened his holiday and has resumed his duties in the country i am afraid you will blame me when you hear the reasons which have hastened his return the sooner i make confession the easier i shall feel besides i have a special object in wishing to see you as soon as possible may i follow my letter to mablethorpe house and may i present a lady to you a perfect stranger in whom i am interested pray say yes by the bearer and oblige your affectionate nephew julian gray lady janet referred again suspiciously to the sentence in the letter which alluded to the lady julian gray was her only surviving nephew the son of a favorite sister whom she had lost he would have held no very exalted position in the estimation of his aunt who regarded his views in politics and religion with the strongest aversion but for his marked resemblance to his mother this pleaded for him with the old lady aided as it was by the pride that she secretly felt in the early celebrity which the young clergyman had achieved as a writer and a preacher thanks to these mitigating circumstances and to julian's inexhaustible good humor the aunt and the nephew generally met on friendly terms apart from what she called his detestable opinions lady janet was sufficiently interested in julian to feel some curiosity about the mysterious lady mentioned in the letter had he determined to settle in life was his choice already made and if so 
would it prove to be a choice acceptable to the family lady janet's bright face showed signs of doubt as she asked herself that last question julian's liberal views were capable of leading him to dangerous extremes his aunt shook her head ominously as she rose from the sofa and advanced to the library door grace she said pausing and turning around i have a note to write to my nephew i shall be back directly mercy approached her from the opposite extremity of the room with an exclamation of surprise your nephew she repeated your ladyship never told me you had a nephew lady janet laughed i must have had it on the tip of my tongue to tell you over and over again she said but we have had so many things to talk about and to own the truth my nephew is not one of my favorite subjects of conversation i don't mean that i dislike him i detest his principles my dear that's all however you shall form your own opinion of him he is coming to see me to-day wait here till i return i have something more to say about horace mercy opened the library door for her closed it again and walked slowly to and fro alone in the room thinking was her mind running on lady janet's nephew no lady janet's brief allusion to her relative had not led her into alluding to him by his name mercy was still as ignorant as ever that the preacher at the refuge and the nephew of her benefactress were one and the same man her memory was busy now with the tribute which lady janet had paid to her at the outset of the interview between them it is hardly too much to say grace that i bless the day when you first came to me for the moment there was a balm for her wounded spirit in the remembrance of those words grace roseberry herself could surely have earned no sweeter praise than the praise that she had won the next instant she was seized with a sudden horror of her own successful fraud the sense of her degradation had never been so bitterly present to her as at that moment if she could only confess the truth if she could innocently enjoy her harmless life at mablethorpe house what a grateful happy woman she might be was it possible if she made the confession to trust to her own good conduct to plead her excuse no her calmer sense warned her that it was hopeless the place that she had won honestly won in lady janet's estimation had been obtained by a trick nothing could alter nothing could excuse that she took out her handkerchief and dashed away the useless tears that had gathered in her eyes and tried to turn her thoughts some other way what was it lady janet had said on going into the library she had said she was coming back to speak about horace mercy guessed what the object was she knew but too well what horace wanted of her how was she to meet the emergency in the name of heaven what was to be done could she let the man who loved her the man whom she loved drift blindfold into marriage with such a woman as she had been no it was her duty to warn him how could she break his heart could she lay his life waste by speaking the cruel words which might part them forever i can't tell him i won't tell him she burst out passionately the disgrace of it would kill me her varying mood changed as the words escaped her a reckless defiance of her own better nature that saddest of all the forms in which a woman's misery can express itself 
filled her heart with its poisoning bitterness she sat down again on the sofa with eyes that glittered and cheeks suffused with an angry red i am no worse than another woman she thought another woman might have married him for his money the next moment the miserable insufficiency of her own excuse for deceiving him showed its hollowness self-exposed she covered her face with her hands and found refuge where she had often found refuge before in the helpless resignation of despair oh that i had died before i entered this house oh that i could die and have done with it at this moment so the struggle had ended with her hundreds of times already so it ended now the door leading into the billiard-room opened softly horace holmcroft had waited to hear the result of lady janet's interference in his favor until he could wait no longer he looked in cautiously ready to withdraw again unnoticed if the two were still talking together the absence of lady janet suggested that the interview had come to an end was his betrothed wife waiting alone to speak to him on his return to the room he advanced a few steps she never moved she sat heedless absorbed in her thoughts were they thoughts of him he advanced a little nearer and called to her grace she sprang to her feet with a faint cry i wish you wouldn't startle me she said irritably sinking back on the sofa any sudden alarm sets my heart beating as if it would choke me horace pleaded for pardon with a lover's humility in her present state of nervous irritation she was not to be appeased she looked away from him in silence entirely ignorant of the paroxysm of mental suffering through which she had just passed he seated himself by her side and asked her gently if she had seen lady janet she made an affirmative answer with an unreasonable impatience of tone and manner which would have warned an older and more experienced man to give her time before he spoke again horace was young and weary of the suspense that he had endured in the other room he unwisely pressed her with another question has lady janet said anything to you she turned on him angrily before he could finish the sentence you have tried to make her hurry me into marrying you she burst out i see it in your face plain as the warning was this time horace still failed to interpret it in the right way don't be angry he said good-humouredly is it so very inexcusable to ask lady janet to intercede for me i have tried to persuade you in vain my mother and my sisters have pleaded for me and you turn a deaf ear she could endure it no longer she stamped her foot on the door with hysterical vehemence i am weary of hearing of your mother and your sisters she broke in violently you talk of nothing else it was just possible to make one more mistake in dealing with her and horace made it he took offence on his side and rose from the sofa his mother and sisters were high authorities in his estimation they variously represented his ideal of perfection in women he withdrew to the opposite extremity of the room and administered the severest reproof that he could think of on the spur of the moment it would be well grace if you followed the example set you by my mother and my sisters he said they are not in the habit of speaking cruelly to those who love them to all appearance the rebuke failed to produce the slightest effect 
she seemed to be as indifferent to it as if it had not reached her ears there was a spirit in her a miserable spirit born of her own bitter experience which rose in revolt against horace's habitual glorification of the ladies of his family it sickens me she thought to herself to hear of the virtues of women who have never been tempted where is the merit of living reputably when your life is one course of prosperity and enjoyment has his mother known starvation have his sisters been left forsaken in the street it hardened her heart it almost reconciled her to deceiving him when he set his relatives up as patterns for her would he never understand that women detested having other women exhibited as examples to them she looked round at him with a sense of impatient wonder he was sitting at the luncheon-table with his back turned on her and his head resting on his hand if he had attempted to rejoin her she would have repelled him if he had spoken she would have met him with a sharp reply he sat apart from her without uttering a word in a man's hands silence is the most terrible of all protests to the woman who loves him violence she can endure words she is always ready to meet by words on her side silence conquers her after a moment's hesitation mercy left the sofa and advanced submissively toward the table she had offended him and she alone was in fault how should he know it poor fellow when he innocently mortified her step by step she drew closer and closer he never looked round he never moved she laid her hand timidly on his shoulder forgive me horace she whispered in his ear i am suffering this morning i am not myself i didn't mean what i said pray forgive me there was no resisting the caressing tenderness of voice and manner which accompanied those words he looked up he took her hand she bent over him and touched his forehead with her lips am i forgiven she asked oh my darling he said if you only knew how i loved you i do know it she answered gently twining his hair around her finger and arranging it over his forehead where his hand had ruffled it they were completely absorbed in each other or they must at that moment have heard the library door open at the other end of the room lady janet had written the necessary reply to her nephew and had returned faithful to her engagement to plead the cause of horace the first object that met her view was her client pleading with conspicuous success for himself i am not wanted evidently thought the old lady she noiselessly closed the door again and left the lovers by themselves horace returned with unwise persistency to the question of the deferred marriage at the first words that he spoke she drew back directly sadly not angrily don't press me to-day she said i am not well to-day he rose and looked at her anxiously may i speak about it to-morrow yes to-morrow she returned to the sofa and changed the subject what a time lady janet is away she said what can be keeping her so long horace did his best to appear interested in the question of lady janet's prolonged absence what made her leave you he asked standing at the back of the sofa and leaning over her she went into the library to write a note to her nephew by the by who is her nephew is it possible you don't know indeed i do not 
you have heard of him no doubt said horace lady janet's nephew is a celebrated man he paused and stooping nearer to her lifted a love-lock that lay over her shoulder and pressed it to his lips lady janet's nephew he resumed is julian gray she started off her seat and looked round at him in blank bewildered terror as if she doubted the evidence of her own senses horace was completely taken by surprise my dear grace he exclaimed what have i said or done to startle you this time she held up her hand for silence lady janet's nephew is julian gray she repeated and i only know it now horace's perplexity increased my darling now you do know it what is there to alarm you he asked there was enough to alarm the boldest woman living in such a position and with such a temperament as hers to her mind the personation of grace roseberry had suddenly assumed a new aspect the aspect of a fatality it had led her blindfold to the house in which she and the preacher at the refuge were to meet he was coming the man who had reached her inmost heart who had influenced her whole life was the day of reckoning coming with him don't notice me she said faintly i have been ill all the morning you saw it yourself when you came in here even the sound of your voice alarmed me i shall be better directly i am afraid i startled you my dear grace it almost looked as if you were terrified at the sound of julian's name he is a public celebrity i know and i have seen ladies start and stare at him when he entered a room but you looked perfectly panic-stricken she rallied her courage by a desperate effort she laughed a harsh uneasy laugh and stopped him by putting her hand over his mouth absurd she said lightly as if mr julian gray had anything to do with my looks i am better already see for yourself she looked round at him again with a ghastly gaiety and returned with a desperate assumption of indifference to the subject of lady janet's nephew of course i have heard of him she said do you know that he is expected here to-day don't stand there behind me it's so hard to talk to you come and sit down he obeyed but she had not quite satisfied him yet his face had not lost its expression of anxiety and surprise she persisted in playing her part determined to set at rest in him any possible suspicion that she had reasons of her own for being afraid of julian gray tell me about this famous man of yours she said putting her arm familiarly through his arm what is he like the caressing action and the easy tone had their effect on horace his face began to clear he answered her lightly on his side prepare yourself to meet the most unclerical of clergymen he said julian is a lost sheep among the parsons and a thorn in the side of his bishop preaches if they ask him in dissenters chapels declines to set up any pretensions to priestly authority and priestly power goes about doing good on a plan of his own is quite resigned never to rise to the high places in his profession says it's rising high enough for him to be the archdeacon of the afflicted the dean of the hungry and the bishop of the poor with all his oddities as good a fellow as ever lived immensely popular with the women they all go to him for advice i wish you would go too mercy changed color 
what do you mean she asked sharply julian is famous for his powers of persuasion said horace smiling if he spoke to you grace he would prevail on you to fix the day suppose i asked julian to plead for me he made the proposal in jest mercy's unquiet mind accepted it as addressed to her in earnest he will do it she thought with a sense of indescribable terror if i don't stop him there is but one chance for her the only certain way to prevent horace from appealing to his friend was to grant what horace wished for before his friend entered the house she laid her hand on his shoulder she hid the terrible anxieties that were devouring her under an assumption of coquetry painful and pitiable to see don't talk nonsense she said gaily what were we saying just now before we began to speak of mr julian gray we were wondering what had become of lady janet horace replied she tapped him impatiently on the shoulder no no it was something you said before that her eyes completed what her words had left unsaid horace's arm stole around her waist i was saying that i loved you he answered in a whisper only that are you tired of hearing it she smiled charmingly are you so very much in earnest about about she stopped and looked away from him about our marriage yes it is the one dearest wish of my life really really there was a pause mercy's fingers toyed nervously with the trinkets at her watch chain when would you like it to be she said very softly with her whole attention fixed on the watch chain she had never spoken she had never looked as she spoke and looked now horace was afraid to believe in his own good fortune oh grace he exclaimed you are not trifling with me what makes you think i am trifling with you horace was innocent enough to answer her seriously you would not even let me speak of our marriage just now he said never mind what i did just now she retorted petulantly they say women are changeable it is one of the defects of the sex heaven be praised for the defects of the sex cried horace with devout sincerity do you really leave me to decide if you insist on it horace considered for a moment the subject being the law of marriage we may be married by license in a fortnight he said i fix this day fortnight she held up her hands in protest why not my lawyer is ready there are no preparations to make you said when you accepted me that it was to be a private marriage mercy was obliged to own that she had certainly said that we might be married at once if the law would only let us this day fortnight say yes he drew her closer to him there was a pause the mask of coquetry badly worn from the first dropped from her her sad gray eyes rested compassionately on his eager face don't look so serious he said only one little word grace only yes she sighed and said it he kissed her passionately it was only by a resolute effort that she released herself leave me she said faintly pray leave me by myself she was in earnest strangely in earnest she was trembling from head to foot horace rose to leave her i will find lady janet he said i long to show the dear old lady that i have recovered my spirits 
and to tell her why he turned round at the library door you won't go away you will let me see you again when you are more composed i will wait here said mercy satisfied with that reply he left the room her hands dropped on her lap her head sank back wearily on the cushions at the head of the sofa there was a dazed sensation in her her mind felt stunned she wondered vacantly whether she was awake or dreaming had she really said the word which pledged her to marry horace holmcroft in a fortnight a fortnight something might happen in that time to prevent it she might find her way in a fortnight out of the terrible position in which she stood anyway come what might of it she had chosen the preferable alternative to a private interview with julian gray she raised herself from her recumbent position with a start as the idea of the interview dismissed for the last few minutes possessed itself again of her mind her excited imagination figured julian gray as present in the room at that moment speaking to her as horace had proposed she saw him seated close at her side this man who had shaken her to the soul when he was in the pulpit and when she was listening to him unseen at the other end of the chapel she saw him close by her looking her searchingly in the face seeing her shameful secret in her eyes hearing it in her voice feeling it in her trembling hands forcing it out of her word by word till she fell prostrate at his feet with the confession of the fraud her head dropped again on the cushions she hid her face in horror of the scene which her excited fancy had conjured up even now when she had made that dreaded interview needless could she feel sure meeting him only on the most distant terms of not betraying herself she could not feel sure something in her shuddered and shrank at the bare idea of finding herself in the same room with him she felt it she knew it her guilty conscience owned and feared its master in julian gray the minutes passed the violence of her agitation began to tell physically on her weakened frame she found herself crying silently without knowing why a weight was on her head a weariness was in all her limbs she sank lower on the cushions her eyes closed the monotonous ticking of the clock on the mantelpiece grew drowsily fainter and fainter on her ear little by little she dropped into slumber slumber so light that she started when a morsel of coal fell into the grate or when the birds chirped and twittered in their aviary in the winter garden lady janet and horace came in she was faintly conscious of persons in the room after an interval she opened her eyes and half rose to speak to them the room was empty again they had stolen out softly and left her to repose her eyes closed once more she dropped back into slumber and from slumber in the favoring warmth and quiet of the place into deep and dreamless sleep end of chapter seven recording by warren cotty gurney illinois